Hey, did you know there's a little pink pill? Wait, a what? A little pink pill? Did you say a little pink pill? Yes, the little pink pill. You definitely need to know about this. Are you for real? Just to be clear, you're telling me there's a little pink pill? For me? That's right. The Little Pink Pill. And it's called Addy. A-D-D-Y-I. Or Flibanserin. Learn more about The Little Pink Pill at A-D-D-Y-I.com. See full prescribing information and medication guide, including boxed warning regarding severe low blood pressure and fainting in certain settings at Addy.com slash P-I. Or call 844-PINK-PILL. Good news, ladies. There's more. Addy, the FDA-approved Little Pink Pill, is also affordable and can be shipped directly to your front door. That's right. With insurance coverage, Addy is only $20 per month and $0 after month three. If your insurance doesn't cover Addy, there is still a discount program to get you the best possible price and get free shipping right to your door. So now's the time to ask your doctor about Addy. Learn more at Addy.com. That's A-D-D-Y-I.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. I'm Vienna Farron, a licensed marriage and family therapist. I've spent over 25,000 hours working with individuals and couples and families, which has given me a front row seat to our capacity for change, no matter how challenging a story might be. This is a show where I speak with anonymous guests every week about challenges they're facing. We're strangers up until the point we sit down with one another. And I have to say, it's actually really challenging. It's really hard for me to go in without much information or having a previous relationship with them. Every time I sit down with a guest, I'm hearing their story for the first time. I'm trying to create a sense of safety for them and create some type of connection for us. And I'm also wanting us to accomplish something without forcing it or leading them to a particular outcome. We're giving you real conversations to see what can actually be accomplished in a short amount of time. Even though what you're listening to in the show is not how I work with my actual clients, it's pretty incredible what a one-off conversation with someone you don't know can lead you to. In fact, I think it's quite remarkable. I'm the author of the national best-selling book, The Origins of You, which explores how to break family patterns so you can liberate the way you live and love and create the life and relationships you've always wanted. What I've found time and time again in all of my work is that the unwanted patterns in our adult lives are really just unresolved pain from the past trying to grab for our attention. If we can be brave enough to face our patterns, a lot of beautiful healing work can happen. That's why this show is named This Keeps Happening, because who hasn't said that once or twice before to themselves? I hope what you hear today helps you as you go through your own journey. I hope someone's story holds up a mirror for you and reflects something back to you about yourself or someone you love. Because sometimes learning through other people's stories is a beautiful invitation to learn about our own. Our guests are anonymous. Names and other personally identifiable details within their stories may be changed or excluded. Conversations with participants are limited consultations. This podcast is not a substitute for therapy, medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. It is for informational purposes only.
Today, I'm speaking with Elizabeth. That's her alias that we'll be using for the episode. She came in wanting to discuss how old wounds can still show up even after big life transitions and resolution. She's a 41-year-old woman who has gone through some major transitions in the last six years of her life. Weight loss surgery and a career change that went from leaving a career to starting graduate studies to become a therapist. She identifies that she has historically struggled with her worthiness, but has worked really hard to put that down. And she now believes truly that she is indeed worthy. That said, she doesn't think other people see it which is reflected in her dating life. I found her very protective of her family, but knew we needed to spend some time here. The biggest transition of her childhood was when her mom was in a critical car accident when she was five years old. Elizabeth struggles to see what's blocking her from not just creating the life and relationship she wants, but actually permitting it. I love this conversation because it highlights that we can believe something to be true about ourselves and our lives, but that unresolved or underfelt pain from our past might close doors we want open. We'll just take a a breath together, okay? okay? All right, so just in through the nose and out. You can put a little sound behind it if you need. Let some air come out of that mouth of yours. Yeah, good, good, great. We're in this together. Excited for this chat. So I know we talked a little bit about where we might begin. And um, the first thing that came up for me actually was about learning a little bit more about what happened after your mom's accident. Um, That feels like a really good place for us to start because I think the impact of that um, was significant. And so I'd love to hear a little bit more about what changed, you know, that you saw in her, but also what changed for you as a little girl at five when that happened. Uh, Yeah, um, it happened when I was five. I was not in the car with her when that car accident happened. Um, It happened when she was on her way to work. Mm. And when thinking about childhood, because I have read your book and, you know, it made me think about mine, it made me think that, um, you know, for example, um, in your book, there were some people who could remember a specific moment that something changed for them. And I don't remember specific things in that way. Um, So my mother had been working full-time with two young kids. She'd been putting herself through night school. You know, my dad was there too, Mm -hmm. helping out. Um, It took her 10 years to earn her bachelor's degree. Go mama. Uh, And, you know, as I say this, I I may get a little choked up because just as, as a woman now to know what she went through. So I believe that the accident happened a few months after she finally got her bachelor's degree. Mm. And she told me a few weeks ago that she actually was going to continue to get her doctorate, but she couldn't. She ended up not being able to work anymore because she had permanent nerve damage. She was in physical pain. She had multiple surgeries. She was understandably distraught. Well, I couldn't understand it at five. That's one of the big things. So what changed is that you know, I think it it can be very hard to talk about what happened to your five-year-old daughter 
in a way that makes sense to her when you are dealing with all of that mm-hmm. stuff. And, you know, this was, you know, decades ago, and I think therapy was like, less accessible. She was doing her best. Um, but the way it affected me is that I I could kind of, I could tell that she was sad, that she was angry or crying or whatever, but I didn't understand it. And I think it meant that I started to try to read her, you know, like she wouldn't tell me what was going on. And I love her dearly. Um, but even several years ago, like I could just tell from talking to her on the phone, the way she breathed, like, oh, she's having a bad day. She's in pain. Mm-hmm. And she would either not realize it or not want to tell me. So I think that unintentionally, of course, you know, I was absolutely cared for, but the family story by default, uh, a horrible accident happened and it affected our whole family that it became a lot about my mom who mm-hmm. needed care uh, not not for me but um mostly when i think about how the family changed i just think that it she didn't want it to become about her but it yeah. did i can hear how much respect and regard you have for her yeah. um and how much you love her and I also can see and hear such an aware and attuned daughter in you as well. And I can imagine a little five-year-old human uh, in a moment like that, maybe not understanding all of the shifts that are happening. And also, gosh, how scary to, even though you might not be able to really conceptualize death at that point, right? To see your mom, to know that your mom has been in a big accident, to feel really scared about what's happening and what's going on, to be noticing what is changing in her, and then to also be somewhat connected to what might be shifting in you. And I'm curious what you feel like you lost at that time, and it might not just be at five years old, it might be after that. But yeah, I'd like to understand what was lost for you, for her, maybe the family too, but let's start with you. Uh, That's a great question. I am myself in grad school to become a therapist, um, and we had to write about our families Mm -hmm. a few months ago. And, you know, I'm not sure my professor will ever hear this, but, um, you know, I was writing about my family as part of the assignment, and he said, you know, you did a great job, but you didn't put yourself in there. Hmm. Was that intentional? And in a way, it was. And again, I I think these changes started when I was five. You know, I didn't suddenly become, you know, an empath or anything. But I, I think because the default kind of became like when I think of my family's story, I think mostly of my mother's story. Mm. So I am there, <laughs> um, but I am sort of anticipating people's needs or what they might say, or, you know, I'm sort of uh, um, the thing I say about myself in many areas of my life is I'm the mortar in between everyone else's bricks. Mm. And and to be clear, my mother is absolutely a dynamo. She does care for herself. But yeah, I I think that just 
as I grow up, um, aside from being a teenager and a 20-something because they don't pay any attention to anybody but themselves. But I think as a child, it did make me maybe a little more predisposed toward um, shyness, maybe a little bit of anxiety, you know, and it's hard to think about what my family lost or what I lost because um, uh, one of the things I struggle with is thinking about what I may want because, you know, when like the family story is that you can work really hard to get what you want and then it's all gone Mm. through no fault of your own. There's a big focus on mom's part in this, right? Like what happened as a big part of the story. And it almost sounds like you can identify what was lost for her more easily than maybe what was lost for you or what was lost for the family. Like it almost seems like it's quite clear to you what she lost at that time. Mm -hmm. Can you describe that? Yeah. Um, oh, I, I hope so. I hope I can do <laughs> we'll justice. Try. We'll, yeah, try. we'll try. We'll yeah. try. So she, um, she was, she is still a, a hard worker, and she loved what she did for her job. It was not an easy job, and you know, as I mentioned, she apparently wanted to go for a doctorate. She wanted a career, and. Um, you know, I think that was important to her. From what I hear, she was good at her job. And at, at the time, it was hard for women in that position. So the career, um, the the physical pain, um, she went through at least two surgeries. I don't remember how many. Mm. Um, and that, that continued through her life. And she had to kind of... You know, I mean, of course, there's loss, there's grief, anger, um, because the person rear-ended her. It wasn't her fault. Sadness, like, how do you rebuild a life when you are just trying not to be in physical pain all the time? So, yeah, as as I am about the age she was when it happened, a little older, I do think about that, especially because I have been through my own um, major life changes, you know. Um, So this question of whether it's a a horrible accident, which is, you know, yes, very different from choosing to go to grad school. Mm -hmm. But, you know, how do you build yourself a new life? And that's something that I've definitely been thinking about. What have you been trying to build you know, I know you mentioned the the grad school, but you've also had in another big life shift yes. transition, as you put it. Yes. Um, so where we were to where we are headed or wanting to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, the two major life changes um, in the past few years for me. In 2017, I had weight loss surgery and, and then I think maybe... Five weeks after I came back from medical leave at my job, I put in my notice and I went to a new job. And, you know, not that many people know a lot about weight loss surgery or its effects. It's, you know, it can be a thorny topic, but I will say one of the things that's known about people who've had weight loss surgery is that very frequently the the first few months are hard. But then you get to, it's literally called the honeymoon phase. 
And that fall, I was glowing. Multiple people told me I was glowing. Um, and it was because I had a new job that I wasn't just, you know, at one point, uh, maybe a year, two years before that surgery, I had gotten to a point where I kind of was like waiting to die. Mm -hmm. I was not happy. And weight loss surgery does not make you happy. For me, that was not the only goal. It was clear to me that I deserved better, finally. The fact that it took me so long to realize I deserved better, that I wanted a better life for myself. But yeah, I had weight loss surgery and I started dating for the first time. Um, I had not dated much when I was fat, when I was in a bigger body. Um, and, you know, when you were talking about what, as a child, what I had lost from my mom's surgery, this is, it was hard for me to think about what I had lost because how do you know, like the life you have, how do you know what you could have had? Mm -hmm. But I think for me, not having dated in my teens, 20s, most of my 30s, that to me is a clear feeling of like, not just fear of missing out, like certainty of missing out, mm -hmm. COMO. Um, <laughs> and um, that is one of the reasons I am here today. And it's something I don't hear talked about a lot is, you know, if you haven't dated much and you are, you know, I just entered my 40s, um, it's it's tough out there for anyone at any point. It's not easy. Um, but, like, how do you um, uh, catch up to people? I, I know that's not a good way of thinking of it, but, like, that's what it feels like, you know. I have missed out, or that's how it feels. Okay, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than a life policy. It's about the promise and the responsibility that comes with being a new parent being there day and night and building a plan for tomorrow, today. For the ones you'll always look out for, trust Amica Life Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. You shared, you know, pre-surgery that you struggled with worthiness mm -hmm. and that post-surgery um, and some additional work. Um, I know you made it really clear that it wasn't just the surgery mm -hmm. right, that that opened this for you, but um, it stands out to you, right? It's a, it is a big catalyst um, on the timeline and that your relationship with worthiness shifted, mm -hmm. right? You, you were living in a bigger body before, and when you were living in that bigger body, you felt like you were unworthy. You were unworthy of love, of being chosen. Um, yeah. And that post-surgery you had shared that 
it felt much clearer to you that you were indeed worthy. Do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I I definitely internalized a lot of messages when I was fat that I wasn't worthy, which I wish that I had known Mm -hmm. better. Um, I do think, of course, you know, the messages I was receiving from, say, people on the street Mm -hmm. even was that I was not worthy of even not being harassed. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, um, the weight loss surgery was part of a larger life change of deciding that I didn't want to be unhappy. I mean, this is the thing about major life change. It's not just making the changes. You know, it's not just like, um, you know, like Rocky, you know, running up the steps, like he's victorious. There's so much nuance there. And it took work to sort of rethink the things I had internalized but yes, I finally started to feel, you know what, I I am happy that I am vulnerable. Um, I have written about all of my, my journeys. Um, I love writing. It's very important to me. Um, and I've shared that with people who became closer to me because I was vulnerable, because I said, you know what, this is important to me to just, you know, before I didn't. I wasn't vulnerable because I was mm-hmm. so sad all the time. I just kept it to myself. So, yes, I did start to feel worthy because I uh, I liked myself for the first time. I wasn't afraid to be myself. And that was something I never thought I would experience. Um, one of the things um, acceptance and commitment therapy really helped me with was identifying my values And that is how I ended up uh, getting into grad school Uh, during the pandemic. I was thinking about society falling apart and how important it was to me that I try to help and live my values. So it's like when you are living your values and you like yourself and the choices you make are in alignment with your values, it's like, yeah, hell yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm worthy. Now, where... (laughs) Where's the rest of it? You oh, know? okay. We'll finish that. Where's the rest of what? Uh, you're making me think. Um, you know, I think uh, earlier, I think when I talked about being afraid to talk about what I want because why well, think about something you're not going to get or why mm-hmm. think about an ideal when it can be snatched away. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think... I think I'm on the right track. Um, You know, there have been moments in grad school during my internship where I've said, this this is what I want to do. This is where I want to be. So I think I'm, that is part of what I want for myself. Um, I will be honest, though, you know, as much as I am capable of being single and living alone, I... I would really like someone to appreciate me. I would like someone to choose me, to see my value, my worthiness, because I see it now. I see it very clearly. So it is, yeah, I eventually I would like a partner, which is hard to admit on a podcast. But but yeah, that's there. I, I think as much as I have the best friends, great family, I have such a support system, but it does feel like there is 
more that I would like to have. What happens when you go to that place? I have such good friends. I have a great support. What? Where do you? Where do you go? Um, where do I go? Uh, I mean, other than gratitude, um, I. I guess I'm all for gratitude, but <laughs> I'm curious why you go there in that moment. Um, because living alone is very hard. Living alone during a pandemic is very hard. Working from home, doing grad school from home, interning from home, mm. very lonely. Uh, and I... Yeah, just connect to that for a second, okay. actually. Okay. okay. It is the loneliness right there. You moved yourself away from the loneliness. No, no, no. I have great friends. I have great support. I've got all these things, right? You moved yourself away from it. So I want you to, yeah, you can keep your eyes open or closed, whatever feels. But I want you to connect to the loneliness for a moment. And maybe just let your face kind of come. get a little more gentle in there. Let it lower. When have you felt lonely before? <laughs> uh, moments in childhood. Um, mm. it, you know, I, I, there is, I guess, an emotional loneliness to, uh, I, I mean, loneliness is an emotion, but um, uh, there, I guess, is a kind of loneliness when something major happens to your family. Will you speak about this as it happened to you and not as a story somewhere out there? Yes. Because mm -hmm. yes. um, okay, what you're saying is I felt lonely yes. in my childhood when this yeah. big thing happened. Um, you know, when you were asking me, like, how did that, how did the accident change my life? What did I not get? because of that, you know, it is hard to know, would I have been as shy as I was? Would I have liked reading books so much? Um, you know, at, at, in elementary school, um, you know, I, I had gained weight and I had friends, but I was also picked on um, in middle school or junior high is, I mean, hell for most people. Uh, and there were moments where it was extremely lonely. Um, you know, I, I'm sure everyone has lonely moments. For me, if people weren't choosing to be with me, um, was I, was I worthy? Let's take one last break. We'll be right back. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than a life policy. It's about the promise and the responsibility that comes with being a new parent, being there day and night, and building a plan for tomorrow, today. For the ones you'll always look out for, Trust Amica Life Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Life is a highway. 
and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. What do you what did you need? Actually, what did you need when you were lonely? When you were being picked on or bullied? What did you need from your parents? Hmm. Uh, well, I, you know, I try hard to remember exactly how things went, which is sometimes tough. Um, I know that what I felt I may have wanted when there was bullying, you know, was some more reassurance maybe uh, yeah it's um hard sometimes for well it's usually hard for kids who are bullied um it was hard for me yeah uh-huh so i i think as a child um the the bullying was difficult um and yeah and then you know the more recent let me hold you there okay. for a second. Okay, sure. You're doing great. Um, I can feel the part that holds the context of your story and your mom's story really strongly in one hand. It's very important. Context helps us. It paints a really important, valuable picture for us. And I lose you and your experience in the other hand a bit. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is I imagine that when you were feeling lonely, you could have used a number of things. But I can also see the part of your brain that is like, well, here are the constraints, right? Like mom couldn't do some of those things because she was tending to all of the transitions and shifts and all the loss that she had to go through and all of that, right? It's like, I can, I can see the wheels turning, right? And it moves you away from that lonely experience for you, right? The, the hard stuff that you also went through. And I think this idea of being able to hold honor, care for, that that was true for her, right? Mm -hmm. And that something else was also true for you is really important here because you you exit from yourself. Mm -hmm. Do you see that? You feel that? Yeah. I mean, I I think um, there's one reason I don't want to be a child therapist is that it is very difficult for me to sort of put myself back Mm -hmm. as a child what did I want? What would have helped me? So maybe the fact that I move away is not because it's too painful, but because I I am trying to imagine someone who who'd had something different. And I think um I, I mean honestly, I I don't know how I, I don't know how my parents would have parented had that not happened. So it's sort of hard to know, like, what what would have been best for me, what I craved. 
I don't think you need to know what would have been different. And I think it's about living and experiencing in what was or what is. And from that point, connecting to what you need. Mm -hmm. You've used that a few times so far, right? It's like, I don't know what I don't know, essentially, right? Like, would I have been less shy? Would I have, you know, it's like, and it again kind of moves you away from this was the experience and maybe maybe we don't know right maybe we don't know what you craved for back then maybe that feels too far away or you're not sure and that's okay but i can imagine you know this little girl feeling very lonely through the experiences that you were describing and likely not wanting to be alone in them yeah um yeah I probably, you know, actually, I just remembered that I was sometimes afraid to hug my mom because Mm -hmm. I thought I would hurt her. So that's an example that I wanted to hug my mom because I wanted hugs, but I also wanted to care for her. Um, But not too much because then that becomes uh, difficult. Stay right there. Okay. Yeah. What are you feeling right now? What are you experiencing? Can you picture her? Little yeah. you? Yeah. 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 I, I can see mm. pictures from that time. Um, I don't remember it as a child, but I see a picture of her in her cap and gown, and I'm there with her. Mm. Um, I think I was wearing a pink dress as usual and, um, yeah, I, I wanted to be close to her and not that I could understand her, but by not understanding her, there was a distance, you know, that she wasn't just my mom. You know, my mom. My mother's life changed, but my mom changed. Yeah. Um, Take that in for a second. That's a big statement. Yeah. You couldn't be close to the person you wanted to be closest to. Yeah. In fact, it felt unsafe to be close to the person you wanted to be closest to. Yeah. Um, I mean, imagine being this little five-year-old with, like, little hands, little arms, and being afraid that I would hurt her. I know. This little tiny little angel, right? Yeah. I can do no harm, and yet I think I might. And I wonder how that plays into your belief that you are allowed or that it is safe, maybe not physically, but that it is safe to be close to someone. And I hear that worthiness has shifted for you, Mm -hmm. which is beautiful. And I also hear that it is hard that you have found it hard 
to choose people or pursue people who can be close to you. You mentioned choosing and pursuing unavailable men before, not Mm -hmm. on this call, but before we spoke. Maybe I'll pause there for a second and see if you have thoughts about that, actually. Um, Thoughts about transitioning to Thoughts about, I feel like I am worthy. I really believe that in my core now. But I keep choosing and pursuing people who are unavailable and how that intersects with a belief that you are not allowed to be close to people you love. That harm happens, or the possibility of harm happens when you mm-hmm. are close to people you love. Um, I see a connection between my childhood and um, unavailable people as an adult. Um, I would say it's more roundabout. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say um, from uh, my my family culture of like working hard and essentially I, I, I describe myself like Leslie Nope from Parks and Rec. She will just keep going and going and keep trying and keep trying. <laughs> um, and I genuinely think some of that is like the, the work hard mentality from childhood, but it's also uh, I had a thought the other day that I I work with scraps because I don't think anything will come to me easily or whole. And I think that is influenced by not that my family had scraps <laughs> afterward, but I mean, our our family was shattered in a way. So I do have this like make do, okay, I'll I'll just take what I can get and work with it mm. um, because I'm industrious and maybe a little shattered. Um, so um, I think a feeling of scarcity also comes from my lack of dating experience, but also, uh, like, I don't know, like an emotional squirreling away of like, I don't know the next time I'll get this thing or or we need to plan ahead or who knows what's going to happen. You know, I, I was not fated to be an optimist. Well, there's fear there. Yes. Right? yes. There's fear that it'll be lost. And you've said a number of times, right? It's like you saw firsthand what having something and then losing something looks like. Yes. Yes. Um, the other important uh, thing about uh, my dating experience is um, that it has not progressed very far. Um, it actually, <laughs> whew, vulnerable moment. Uh, the longest I'd ever dated someone was five dates. Mm-hmm. Um, now, granted, you know, we have been in a pandemic <laughs> that absolutely affected things. But, you know, to not have, like, a, a, a role model or, like, this is what a loving relationship feels like. I don't have that. I don't know what 
a loving partnership feels like. So in addition to, you know, childhood wounds, there's also the practicality of, I don't know what it's like. Um, so those are my thoughts on unavailable people. You think part of that is how, and I imagine that you might not have as many memories pre-five years old, but um, what your parents' relationship looked like. Um, did your dad step into a caretaking role for your mom for a period of time after the, the accident? Uh, I do not have many memories of that time. I don't know if that's weird. <laughs> Um, and I, I should be clear that when my mom was um, going to night school to get her degree, one thing I do remember is, um, you know, my dad cooking for us, which, you know, today might not be super remarkable, but, you know, back in the old days, you know, when mom was at night school, she had a busy day. He was, you know, cooking for us. So even before the accident, you know, he did, he, he did support her. In those ways, um, my parents' relationship is not my story to tell. I do think that when I say like a role model for a loving relationship, I don't mean that I haven't seen them. I don't know what it's like for um, a man to treat me that way in a romantic relationship. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I've I've seen some some great relationships, but I you need to put what you see into practice. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of... Do you feel like you believe that it can happen for you? You know, you said I sort of move away from things. Well, the first thing I think is statistics. <laughs> you know, Great catch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do I statistically think it's likely? Mm -hmm. Um and I have thought about this so many times in percentages. I've thought, mm. I'm like, 95% sure it won't happen. Mm. Um, I genuinely... It's very protective of your disappointment, right? It is. It is. Um, I mean, um, I am seeing a therapist myself. And when I started seeing her, I said, okay, I either need to figure out a way to create hope or faith or I need a plan, a real plan for being single. But like, I can't just live like this. Mm. Now, that's a very Leslie Nope thing to do, I think, um, to be protective and in air quotes, practical, to want to plan. And part of it is that the loneliness, and here I am not just talking about some sort of like sad single lady thing, but I mean physical loneliness from the pandemic and all of the things I've discussed. We know that loneliness, uh, there are physical human responses to not, um, not getting You're hugs. stepping away. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Back into your belief, if it can happen for you. And maybe I'll ask you one other question to see if this opens something up. Okay. Is it okay? Because you said before that your age right now is somewhat close to when your mom had the mm -hmm. accident. Is it okay for your life at this point 
to move towards joy and love and ease and peace and accelerate when your mom's life deteriorated. I had not thought about that in that way. I did recently write about, you know, my ideal life, which is very hard for me to do. Mm. And yes, I did actually write that I do want to have a life that's about, I don't remember the exact words I used, probably um, contentment, fulfillment was one of the words, um, ease, moving away from scraps toward toward, I guess, an expansive feeling. Want is different than permission. Mm. Want is different than allowing. Want is different than permitting it for yourself. I love that you want this stuff for yourself. (laughs) And I love that you wrote in that very vulnerable way to kind of open that and say like, yeah, this is is what I want. I know that word is hard for you. Want, what do I want? (laughs) Right, and... Can I have it? Can I allow myself to have it? Is Mm -hmm. it okay? Would I be betraying her? Would I be getting to live a life that maybe she didn't get to live at that point? I just want you to tune into that for a moment. What's what are you noticing in your body? As I as I say that, and you said before, I hadn't thought about it in that way before. I saw Mm -hmm. the yeah the little. kind of wetness in the eyes. So I just want you to tune in to what's happening in your body. Um, I, I feel I am prepared to say yes to allow um allow that joy or um ease what would that feel like uh, could i trust it if i started to feel it mm-hmm. what would happen if i started to feel it is it going to be snatched away <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I will say um, there have been recent times where um, I was pretty, I I did feel a spark. um, And I, I, I did think Uh, So I wrote about it, (laughs) and I shared it with some friends, and the concept of it was basically when we feel a moment of joy or spark or something good, we tell people about it, what what happens? Will we look like a fool, or will it just be being human? Like, to celebrate that moment openly— with someone, even if it goes away, um, yeah, uh, that was uh, that was definitely something that I felt and thought about. 
And um, mm-hmm. this is not me being, you know, a smart ass, but uh, yeah, a few days later, he did actually end things. So, uh, but you know what? I didn't, I didn't take down that writing. I didn't take down that post. Yeah. I think you're on to something. I think you're on to something because that is human. Life will have moments of joy and then moments of not joy and then moments of recovery and then moments of joy and not joy and recovery and around and around we go. And when you exist in the space of when will joy be snatched away, you snatch it away. When we exist in the thing that we already know to be true is that, yeah, this all changes. We don't just stay in one place always and forever. It is a constant motion of gain and loss and repair and rupture and this and that, right? Mm -hmm. But the connection to presence in whatever chapter you might be in feels really important. You make a lot of sense. You make a lot of sense. I get where that fear comes from, right? The fear that this joy will be snatched, the fear that things will always change at some point. So don't get too close to it. You believe you are worthy and you continue to pursue and engage people who are unavailable, who are showing up lukewarm, right? And that points us to something. that is protecting you from something still. And so even though there's been some resolution in your life, which is incredible, it's asking for more. It's asking for a belief that you can move through hard things differently. That you can move through hard things differently that you might not have to be lonely when you are moving through hard things. Remember when you were telling me about all those good friends and support system? Good, right? That I can be loved and held, held, touched, felt, right? That I can be loved and held as I move through life. I'm curious if there's any final thoughts or final reflections here for you that you want to share with me or how that last part resonated with you? Yeah, um, that definitely makes a lot of sense. Um, And certainly as someone who has gone through chosen life changes, um, I know that life is full of changes. There's different seasons of life, different things you go through. Um, And I think it's it's important to know, as I was saying, like, you know, there isn't, as you are changing, it's not just victory and then something happens or victory and then it's snatched away. There's like a, um, there's an ebb and a flow that life changes and building a life you want. Um, there's a lot of, you know, nuance. There can be fear. <laughs> um And I have to take that risk, right? I mean, if I want a life of um, fulfillment, contentment, 
I'm not going to use the word joy because I'm going to protect myself a little bit to the very (laughs) end. Um, But the ease, the the worthiness that is seen and reflected back. If I want that, I have to take a risk Mm. and be vulnerable. Beautiful. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. You may have noticed how much Elizabeth wanted to protect her parents. She has so much respect and gratitude for them, and she was careful not to speak negatively about them. But what so many people wind up doing is protecting their families at the expense of fully honoring and acknowledging the impact events or experiences had on them. Her compassion for her mom was large. It was beautiful. She could see so much of what had been robbed from her mother. But what Elizabeth didn't do was make much space for her own experience. What changed and shifted for her? She had this beautiful moment in our chat where she mentions being scared to hug her mom. And although you can see Elizabeth remembering this detail, holding her five-year-old self in focus, and feeling for that little girl who confused closeness with harm and pain, just maybe this plays a part in her conflict around closeness and intimacy with others, specifically in her romantic life. And just maybe there's an experience in your life that contributes to your conscious or subconscious avoidance of closeness and intimacy too. Yes, whether you feel worthy of love or not. If we had more time, I would have wanted to explore the permission piece further. It seemed to strike a chord with Elizabeth that maybe she was holding herself back from the life that she craves and desires because her mom never got it. Is there room for her vision even when mom's vision was robbed? Is it okay for her to feel joy at this time in her life when at this point in her mother's life, mom was experiencing tragedy and loss? These are important questions to consider and reflect on, to begin to notice what might be keeping you from your vision for yourself. I know that can be a hard question to answer, but if there's something you say you want and your behavior or outcomes communicate something else, I want you to consider what it is you might be protecting. If Elizabeth is protecting her mom or she's protecting herself from what she associates with closeness, what might you be protecting yourself or others from? The beauty of this work is that there are ways to hold honor and respect for others while making room for yourself. The beauty of this work is that you can begin to associate expansive things with closeness instead of just painful, harmful, scary things, no matter your past experiences. The beauty of this work is that you can step towards something that is in alignment for you, even if someone you care about couldn't or didn't. To make space for yourself asks you to process and honor things that hold you from it. This Keeps Happening is hosted by me, Vienna Farron, with production support from Anita Flores. Special thanks to Amelia Chapelo for editorial support. Our engineers are Jared O'Connell and Brendan Burns. Our theme music is by Casey Holford. Our managing producer is Tamika Weatherspoon. Our executive producers are Josephine Martirana from Stitcher Studios, Keith O'Connell, and Will Rogers from Soundbite Entertainment.
Stitcher. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than a life policy. It's about the promise and the responsibility that comes with being a new parent, being there day and night, and building a plan for tomorrow, today. For the ones you'll always look out for, trust Amica Life Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave.